Thank you, worship team. That was a beautiful song. I was thinking about the lyrics of that song, and they, uh, it dovetails so well with what God has been speaking to me about in the Psalms that we, be, that we are looking at. Um, the words say, Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. And think about what is a reward. A reward is something that is given for, um, for your walking with. And we never want to see our Christian life as duty, but one of the rewards of being with Jesus, being a part of Jesus' family, is his love lavished on us. And you are way too Christian to feel that. You know that? Uh, I, yes, uh, as, as uh, Tim prayed, we were in Pittsburgh uh, meeting with some friends at a leadership court we do over the last two days. In addition to that, we had our banquet and a funeral this week, so uh, it was quite the week. Uh, but in, in this, uh, we, we were talking to some friends. Now, this man, is um, he grew up in the Bronx. He's an Italian from the Bronx in New York. He now lives in South Florida, uh, and he is an amazing uh, person of God. And we were talking about uh, being delivered in Christ. These are uh, Christian brothers and sisters who range from, uh, for instance, uh, in our group, in our cohort, is, is uh, the man who leads the largest publishing company uh, in, in the African-American world, uh, producing literature for the black churches across the world, the largest publishing company. His wife, by the way, is a former Miss uh, California, black Miss California, who dated Barry Sanders and A.C. Green before she married this guy. Um, so if that tells you anything about the caliber of people, people who lead large law firms. But this is my friend Jeff. Now Jeff is a, a quite a good storyteller because he's Italian, and he has these wonderful mother-in-law stories that you should hear someday, um, how she tried to kill him. But anyway, um, but Jeff is, is talking to me, and he said, you're too Christian. You don't understand. You need to have grown up without Jesus. He said, I meet all these Christians, and they're so nice. And he said, but they don't realize they're stuck. He said, think about three crosses. Which cross are you on? There's a middle cross where Jesus is. There is the cross on, let's say, on this side where, where the other criminal was hanged. And there is a cross on this side where the man who says, I am so sorry, and Jesus said, you can be with me in paradise. He said, most Christians, most people, if you ask them, which cross are you on, they'll say, this cross over here. You know, I just barely made it in. He said, that, that's because you grew up Christian. You're not on that cross. You're on the middle cross with Jesus, and he's delivered you. And quit get, he, he was telling me this. Get out of that. He said, don't live with that shame. Jesus loves you. It's a gift. And I thought, whoa, that's interesting. I went to this leadership court to learn business practice, good business practice, and this guy's preaching at me. Two hours. And uh, it was powerful. But he has, he, has, he has something. And it's easy for us to kind of take our Christian eyes. We grew up good. Well, uh, you didn't, but... I mean, I didn't, but maybe you did. Uh, you grew up okay. You didn't... We, we have no violent criminals sitting in here. Well, maybe we do. I don't know. Uh, but do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You grew up with people who wrestle with growing up. And, and see, that is part of my wrestling match with the Psalms, as, as I've discovered over the years, with the Psalms, is that uh, there's these Psalms. And I've been reading Eugene Peterson. Do you know Eugene Peterson who did the message, that, uh, the, 
translation of the Bible, the message. He just died this summer. Eugene Peterson did. He is an amazing man. But I was reading a little bit of the Psalms in his. I don't know if I quite dare say this. Psalm 35, for instance, he says, Lord, punch my enemy fully on the nose. Hmm. How many of you prayed that this week? Punch him in the nose, God. Give it to him. Full barrel. And, and he said, uh, and, and I, I've, been, I've been thinking about the Psalms. Now, we've heard s- several really good sermons that, that make us think, beginning with Tim's idea that, that worship is the, act, the activity of glorifying God in His presence. So God is present here this morning. As we bring glory to Him in our lives, He's present in our, in our lives. Uh, we, we glorify God. That is true worship. And everyone worships something. People worship something. People are made to worship they worship uh, other people, heroes. They worship uh, uh, nature. They worship created things. And, and everyone worships something uh, or someone. The other thing that I've thought about as we've been on this journey through the Psalms is that, that worship is much bigger than just raising our hands and being happy. Worship is about bringing our heart to it. And when our hearts feel sad, when they're in lament, when we feel sad and upset. And there, there are those psalms of lament, but there's also these, they're called deprecatory psalms. Those are the ones that say, God, take their offsprings and dash them against the rocks. Kill their babies. Punch them in the nose. Get your spear out and deal with them. And we don't quite know what to do with those, but uh, as, as we kind of, uh, two more Sundays, think about this, let, let's just think a little bit more. Let's think bigger than ourselves. Now, uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 40. By the way, Psalm, Psalms does not have chapters. If you notice, they have Psalms. So it's Psalm 40. If you say it's chapter 40, it's okay. Um, and by, when you talk about one Psalm, it's singular, Psalm 40. I could never teach my dad that. He'd say, Psalms chapter 40. Dad, it's not plural. There's only one. Well, that's just the way he said it. Uh, uh, and and I, I, so I, as I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, I, I, I went and, and I began to think and research the, the Psalm 40 that we're looking at here, and then Psalm 66. So turn, uh, put your finger in Psalm 40. And then turn to Psalm 66 and put your finger there. Keep your fingers, uh, hold those two spaces open in your copies of the Scriptures. And let's just think about them a little bit. I'm going to read a portion of each one of them. They're powerful in themselves. Beginning at Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman, blessed is the person who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. 
burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Go to verse 16 now. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Psalm 66. Shout to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that the enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Selah is meant for us to stop, take a moment, and think about what we just heard. So when you, when you see the word selah, it happens about 70 plus times in the Psalms. And there, scholars are undecided about the exact meaning, but it's, meant, it's a musical notation that, that is meant a rest, a stop. It could mean praise or amen. We could interpret it like that, but it, ultimately it means stop. So when you think about where the selahs are, all the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. They, say, they sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Where there did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would, have not, would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Now in just a cursory examination of the two psalms, you note something. The Psalms kind of lift out of this kind of God has delivered us. And uh, did you notice anything about offerings and sacrifices? They're in both. One of them, he says, I don't have to do that. 
in, in, in 40, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. And in, in uh, 66, he says, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals. Did you notice that? There's that offering, sense of offering. In the first one, he says, that is not really what you wanted, God, but I want to do it because it honors you. Ultimately, what you want is for me to speak about your deliverance. And if, if one of the ways I can do, ultimately, it's not the sacrifice that counts. It's my heart bringing the praise of deliverance. Now, um, the, the word praise here is, is the Hebrew term shebak. It means a shout of praise that comes out of, of our hearts. And, and it, it's not for the purpose of emotional pumping up. Many people think praise is, is, is something you do on Sunday morning so people can get a little bit of pumped up so they can go home for the week. I'm sorry. If, if that's the wrong energy. Now, if you get pumped up, go. All right? Go. But that's not the purpose of praise. The purpose of praise isn't some emotional high, some emotional edge, or anything like that. The purpose of praise is for us to reflect the, the beautiful things that God has done in our lives. That's the purpose of praise. And when we can step back from our, from our mess, step back from our broken world, and say, God, you have delivered me. That's what it's about. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Psalm 40, which we want to just look at briefly, uh, gained a lot of popularity in the early 1980s. In 1983, an Irish band was, uh, was uh, recording in a recording studio and that went all day and went into the night and they felt like they were missing one song. And the, uh, the bass player or the drummer, one of the two, had already left and, and they're, very, they're, they're, they're up and coming in popularity in, in, uh, in the British Isles and, and and, and some in America already. And the lead singer walked out into the studio. They had, uh, they had 30 minutes of studio time left before the next band was coming in. Oh, 40 minutes. The lead singer walked out into the, the, um, the room there and found a Bible. Brought it back in. And he opened the Bible to Psalm 40. And he recorded a song... That, uh, that has these words. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit, out of the mire and clay. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? How long, how long, how long, how long to sing this song? He set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. Many will see, many will see in fear. I will sing a new song. Uh, the title of the song is called Forty. And the lead singer who did that was Bono. And the, and the band was U2. Now, we don't often think about U2, uh, you know, and Bono. Uh, the Edge was singing with him at the time. And uh, these, are, these are very broken people. But I, 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 was, I was searching for, for uh, information about Song 40, and this came up. And it led me to... Uh, 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 interview that Eugene Peterson and, and Bono did, about a 25-minute clip that, that Eugene Peterson and Bono did. Now, I'm not advocating that we live a lifestyle like Bono's. 
You know who he is, right? The guy with the kind of tinted glasses and the uh, weird hair and uh, uh, a little bit like that. But uh, as I listen to these two men talk, one a hero of the Christian faith who has given a great deal, another one a very broken man who has been in the depths. He has been one of the heroes of many people. He has been worshipped. He has money coming out of everywhere. And he is, he's famous. And I saw this famous man come to this, broke, this old pastor, Eugene Peterson. And he sat down and he began to cry. And he had these tears in his eyes. And they, they began to talk about the Psalms. And, uh, and Eugene Peterson says, You know, when I was a young man, I didn't know how to read the Psalms. Because I've been taught that the Bible is about theology and every word is, is about theology and we need to not get too carried away. And he said, when I, when I stepped back from that and allowed my imagination to go with the author of the Psalms and discovered that these Psalms are about common everyday people from King David to the broken person on the street bringing their hearts to God and sharing what is truly in their hearts, that honesty that comes through that. He said, then I could actually begin to read the Psalms. And, and he's talking to Bono, and, uh, and then Bono says, you know, my observation is there is a lot of dishonesty in Christianity because nobody wants to write about the bad. Uh, it, 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 he said, I'm very suspicious of Christianity because it lacks realism. And I thought, that is so good. And he said, uh, and this is a man who is prophesying, who I feel is, is quite broken, but who is on a journey, and I'm not going to judge him. We're going to let God take care of that. But out of the mouths of other people, God speaks. He said, feelings are perfectly honest, and they're in our hearts, and we need to express them without indulging in them. And he says, uh, I see the Psalms as a way of cussing without cussing. And I thought, that is really good. That's because we're bringing our honest hearts to the table. And so when we think about praise, praise is much bigger. And, and if you notice something, the, uh, in a, in a, if you read the Holy Roar, they say about this chapter that the, the praise is not for the purpose of pumping up the present crowd. It's for the purpose of passing on the faith. When we talk about the good and the bad, the hard and the, and the easy, the hard and the good, the enjoyable and the broken, when we talk about that publicly, we are passing on the faith to the next generation of people and saying God is big enough to walk with us through life. And there is something beautiful and joyful about that. If you notice Psalm 40 and Psalm 66, both are psalms and songs of praise where we are praising our deliverance. Note uh, in, in, uh, in 66, it says, uh, He turned the sea into dry land. Oh, wait, wait, when did that happen? He turned the sea into dry land. When did that happen? Come on. Red Sea, not the Jordan River, the Red Sea. There are two times when God turned water into dry land for his people to walk through. This is the Red Sea. And if you notice in 66, he goes on to say, let me just get this right. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nation. And, and he goes, uh, oh, over in verse 10, for you, God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. 
You brought us into the net or into slavery. You laid a crushing burden on our back. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. This is about deliverance. And when, he's, when every Jew in that audience understood that he's talking about the Exodus, which is the center point. It's where they become a nation. It's where they become God's people. And in the same way, we are called today to celebrate the fact that we are not on any of those two bottom crosses, that we're not that broken sinner over here. We're not that person who's hanging on this cross who just barely made it in the kingdom. We have life in Christ. And that cross is empty. We are no longer on that cross because God brought deliverance over death and sin to this world. And he invites us into something much bigger, into the kingdom of God that is going to reign forever. And that is what we should, that's what we talk about when we're honest about our souls. Oh, that hurts. Oh, this is so lovely. It just makes me want to shout in praise. Boy, I, God, why don't you do something about the injustices in the world? I mean, God, go ahead. Go ahead. Take them out. Take them out. And when we're honest about that, when we bring our entire selves, we are passing on to the next generation the songs of deliverance. So, As we think about praise, praise is about deliverance. Praise is about thanksgiving from delivering us from hanging forever on that cross, forgiven and just barely making it into heaven. I meet so many Christians who view Christianity as a fire escape from hell. It's not that. True Christianity is something much bigger than that. True Christianity is engaging in the kingdom of Christ, bringing change to our broken world in our small ways. And when those moments come when we can rejoice, we rejoice. And when those moments come that we need to cry and and shout and and be angry and upset, God is okay with that too. This This is about recording the work of God in our lives and not some emotional high. Now, I want us to just go back because the Psalms... The, the Israelites sang these at times of when they went up to the temple. And it's all built around a moment in, in, in their history. They're at the edge of the promised land. They have escaped. Well, first of all, that, that sea has opened up into dry land. And they've escaped the nation of Egypt that has put this crushing burden on their back that has ridden over their heads, just as the psalm says. They've escaped that. They are finally free to be God's people. And then they go right out into the wilderness. They look back, and they're up against the sea. God opens it up miraculously to get through. And God, just as miraculously, closes it on Egyptians, the Egyptian army. And the Egyptian army is destroyed. And they see their, their pursuers being destroyed, the brokenness of their world being destroyed. They go out, and, and yet they're in their hearts, they're slaves. They're still slaves. And God is going to have to take them on a redemptive journey of 40 years. And there are a lot of funerals in these 40 years. If a million people left, 999,998 of them died in the next 40 years. Only two, well, three, yeah, two, Mo, uh, Joshua and Caleb are left. Now, how many people here over 40? Get up, get up, get up. Yeah, 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 get up. If you're over 40, get up. We need to have these people, okay? 
All right, uh, the weight is on us. So, so the rest of the people, we've all gone now. Uh, these are, you know, so these are the old people in church. Right? No. Anyway, sit down. Uh, and, and the rest of you get up. Everybody has to get up. Um, so, so this is the audience. This is the group. They're at the edge of the promised land. They're right there. None of them, except for two, have seen the Red Sea open up. Only two of them, well, only three at this point. Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. Okay, you can be seated. And, and only three of them have seen the Red Sea open up. And, and, and they're at the edge of the promised land. And God says, now you're going to stop here. And the old man, Moses, is going to have his final word. And Moses, the book of Deuteronomy is this. It's, it's done in probably three settings. He goes through their history. And he says, look at how God has functioned. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. And at the very end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 31 or towards the very end, Moses is commanded by God. He says, God tells Moses, write a song. And when you write the song, teach it to the children of Israel. And let that song be a song to them. A song of love and praise, but a song that if they forget me, will come back to haunt them. Ring in their ears. And Moses' final song, chapter 32, uh, 45 verses in chapter 43 verses in chapter 2, is that song. And then... Moses dies. God takes Moses up on a mountain and Moses is buried. Now this is the hero who has let the children of Israel out of the land. And that no one knows where his grave is. Because I think the children of Israel would have been tempted to worship the grave of Moses. But no one knows where it is. Only God. Because he wants them to remember that they're not Moses' nation. They're God's people. And, and it's central to their idea of a people is their deliverance. That's what they're called to celebrate. And it is the same for us today. We are called to celebrate the fact that God in His mighty, steadfast love has offered that love to us. And He calls us to speak about our deliverance. And we do that when we honestly share our hearts with the way that God has worked and is working. And as my friend Jeff says, we do that by understanding that we no longer hang on that cross of that criminal. We're not just barely making it in. We are, we are a part of a kingdom that is someday going to rule over all of heaven and earth. And there is mighty power in that, and I give it to you. Let's stand together. This is about recording the work of God in our lives. True praise happens when we've experienced God in our lives and we speak out of that. You've all observed the fakeness of praise sometimes. People say, okay, now we're going to praise God together. What if I don't feel like it right now? Maybe there's something about bringing our hearts, but you've all experienced that kind of fakeness. And what God wants is for us to speak about how he's delivered us, how he's going to deliver us, how he's going to open up the sea before us. The truest answer 
to the issues of life, the truest answer to the questions that we have about pain and suffering, about praise and deliverance, is the fact that God gave himself. Chris said this so ably and used the example of Job last week. The end of Job, Job says, I have heard about you, now I see you. Have you seen him? Is he active in your life? Do you talk about that? Those moments are meant to bring the next generation into the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, uh, we also understand that the markers that you put in our lives, they, they feel so personal to us, and sometimes we're scared to talk about them because we're afraid that it might make other people feel bad or it might make us look bad. Or, you know, we just don't want to, yeah, well, maybe it wasn't that big. Help us to understand that our deliverance from the power of death and sin is is something so big, so powerful, so life-changing. If there's people here who have not experienced that for the very first time, I pray that you would give them strength to make that commitment to walk with Jesus, to walk into that newness of life, for their hearts to embrace following you, And then for all those small moments of salvation, those times when you've punched the enemy in the nose, those times when we've seen your deliverance, help us to talk about those. And Lord, for those times when we can't quite figure it out, when it still just really, really hurts, for those moments, I pray that as we lament, as we cry, that your glory and your steadfast love and your mercy. And may our testimony be that of Job. We had heard about you, but now we see you. May that be the testimony of Providence Church. I thank you for your deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.